So um, we're continuing on in the series we've been in for the entire year, uh, looking at the life of Jesus, studying in the Gospel of Luke mainly. We took a slight detour into the Gospel of John uh, for a little while during the season of Easter, but we're back in Luke, and we're spending the whole year with Jesus, digging into His words and His teaching and His example. And so far, I've learned a lot, and I've really been challenged a lot this year, because I find if I continue to measure myself against Jesus and His witness, I'm never going to stop growing. I'm never going to stop seeking uh, to be better, uh, because Jesus um, gives me a model to follow and an example that, that I want to continue to press into and go deeper into. And so today, we're going to be looking at a fairly well-known piece of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke, and it is a beloved text by some. And as I've learned over the last week, it's actually kind of hated by some people, actually. Um, and I want to be clear up front that this story, as I've studied it, it's a bit problematic and has been for people um, throughout history. Traditionally, this passage that we're going to look at has been interpreted in, I would say, very simplistic and fairly unhelpful ways at times, sometimes even hurtful ways. And so today we're going to dig into it. We're going to try to dig into it and really uh, seek to get to the essential message that we find in these verses. And so my hope is to shed some new light, maybe on this well-known story in the life of Jesus. Let me read our text for us. It comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and the words will be behind me on the screen. I'm going to read from it as well, because I do not have a Bible up here with me. So, Luke chapter 10, this is right after the Good Samaritan story that Tanya talked about last week, all right? So these stories actually fit really well together, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. So as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Y'all probably heard this story before, many of you. Um, I was reading about this story, and I, I found a woman online who shared these thoughts about this passage, which I think really hit the nail on the head for some. She said, this story lives in a quiet infamy, for I don't even know how long it's been preached the same way. Martha was the busy one. Mary was the quiet one. Martha was too busy to have a relationship with Jesus, and Mary, through her meekness, and listening did the right thing. And shouldn't you be a Mary too? Why, yes, you should. Hashtag all the guilt. I've, I've learned recently that for women in particular, this passage has often been difficult for them. Because all too often, women have been told that they either are Martha or they're a Mary. The active woman or the meek woman. And I'm not here to suggest that anyone should be a Martha or a Mary Really, only Martha can be Martha, and only Mary can be Mary. These are complex, unique, wonderful individuals that we read about in Scripture. I think all too often we read the Bible and want to take these 
these humans, like we are, complicated individuals and put them into a category, say this is this type of person, you're either this person or you're this person, and I think that actually doesn't do a lot of good. These are incredible women, and they had an incredible encounter with Jesus. And from their encounter with Jesus, I think all of us, women and men, can learn about what it means to be a disciple. There's not going to be any Team Martha or Team Mary today. You may connect more with Martha. You may connect more with Mary, and that is okay, because both of these women have wonderful stories. And really, both of them were powerful leaders in the Jesus movement. And so I want to dig into these verses, and I'm going to do a little bit of just breaking it down verse by verse this morning. I don't do this often, but um, for this one, there's just so much there that I want to unpack that I think it would help if we just go through each of these verses, and there's not many of them. And so hopefully some things will jump out to you, jot them down. If they do, reflect on them this week. So let's start at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now just in this verse, there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot that we can unpack. First, I love that it says Jesus and his disciples were on their way. We've talked about this many times, but the life of faith is a journey. It is walking with Jesus. It is active. It is movement. It's about mission and purpose. These folks were not stagnant. They didn't just sit around. They were moving. They were actively engaged in ministry and mission. Now remember in chapter 9, we read this crucial verse in verse 51 where it says, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. This marks a shift in Luke where now they are beginning their journey toward Jerusalem. It's a bit haphazard how they get there. They go get close to Jerusalem, then they go away from Jerusalem, but eventually they do find their way there. Now keep in mind, Jerusalem was the place of power in their land. This was the place where Jesus would meet his awful fate, where he would finally be found and arrested. He would be put through an unjust trial, convicted to execution by crucifixion on the cross. There is danger on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus was a hunted man. Herod Antipas was after him. He wanted him killed. Perhaps they moved around so much because they wanted to avoid getting caught and they couldn't stay in one place for too long. So they finally came to a village where a woman named Martha lived. Now we learn from the Gospel of John that Martha lived in the town of Bethany. Now they actually had gotten pretty close to Jerusalem at that point because Bethany is just a few miles away from Jerusalem. You can see Bethany from Jerusalem. And I'll just remind you today, there's actually a big wall that separates Jerusalem from Bethany. This wall that doesn't allow people in the West Bank to actually travel to Jerusalem. So, you know, if Jesus was traveling today, he actually might not be able to make it to Jerusalem because of this. So Bethany is where Martha lived. Jesus had instructed his 72 followers to go out in pairs, and he sent them out to go into the villages, heal, spread the gospel, and he said, I want you to find people of peace in every village, and, and if they're people of peace, I want you to go into their homes, stay with them, eat their food. You know, they'll minister to you, you minister to them, it'll be a beautiful thing. And so Martha was one of these very people that was a woman of peace who welcomed Jesus and his followers into her home in that moment. Now, a few things about Martha. Martha owned this house, which is pretty significant and fairly rare in the ancient Near East. 
The oldest male in the home would usually be listed as the owner of a home. So it's a bit odd that Martha owned a home and is listed as an owner of this house. She's kind of already kind of going against the grain, a different kind of woman than a lot of people that, that were living then. Martha probably had some wealth as well. She owned a house. She had enough space for Jesus and his followers. We learn from the Gospel of John that Martha had a brother as well named Lazarus. Y'all probably remember the story of Lazarus. He, was, he rose from the dead. Jesus raised him up. Now, Lazarus was Martha's brother. And, it, and we read when Lazarus died, they buried him in a cave on Martha's property and were able to roll a big stone in front of the cave. And so you think if they had a burial cave on their property, they probably had some resources. Martha was also well known. When Lazarus died, we read that many people from Jerusalem traveled to the small town of Bethany from the big city to be there with Martha, to mourn with her, to comfort her. And so Martha was connected to people. She was well-loved. Martha was also a very courageous woman, I would say. Martha was willing to host Jesus and his disciples in her home, knowing that Jesus was a marked man, that the authorities were after him. This would have put her and anybody in her home, particularly, potentially even in her village, all these folks, in great danger because of the hospitality that she was willing to offer Jesus and his followers. She was a courageous woman. Now Martha, verse 39 says, has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now Martha's sister was a woman named Mary. And so now we know that there's Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They're all three siblings. We know in the Gospels that Jesus was very close to these three siblings. He was close to this family. He had some very close, just um, beautiful moments with them in many different stories throughout the Gospel. These were good friends of his, people who really supported him and his movement. Mary was the same woman who poured the expensive perfume that was a whole year's worth of wages on Jesus' feet. Another sign that maybe they had some resources that they were able to put towards the Jesus movement. The text tells us that Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Now, I remember sermons about this passage from my uh, childhood that, that kind of depict Martha as the busy one in the kitchen, you know, maybe fluffing pillows, sweeping the floor, doing all the home duties. And then Mary's just sitting cross-legged on the floor doing Bible study with Jesus. Sitting with Jesus at his feet was not like doing Bible study like we often think of it. That phrase is used to describe a disciple of a rabbi or a disciple of a teacher. Mary took the position of a disciple, learning from Jesus, listening to Jesus, for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. Mary was training to be a disciple. She was not just doing some Bible study or just passively listening. This was very active. She was wanting to learn from Jesus how to be like him, how to be a disciple. And Jesus invited her to sit at that place as his disciple. Many scholars point out that, that Mary taking the position at the feet of a teacher was really a, a pretty radical thing for her to do. Often that was reserved for men, many scholars point out. Women would rarely be found at the feet of the teacher. They would often be behind the scenes having to do all the behind-the-scene work while the men sat at the feet of the teacher. 
And so Mary was willing to take that bold step to say, hey, I want to be your disciple and I'm going to sit in the place that the men do. And Jesus welcomed her to sit at that position as well. This would have been a very dangerous thing for her to do, joining up with this Jesus movement, following this radical traveling rabbi who had the authorities looking for him, wanting to kill him. Mary was bold, and she desired to follow Christ regardless of where it led her. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So while Mary was at the feet of Jesus, learning about his way, being trained up as a disciple, Martha was distracted. Or other translations read that she was worried. She was upset, busy, stressed. We understand what that's like, right? To be distracted, worried, upset, busy, stressed. She was stressed and distracted and anxious about all the preparations that had to be made, the text tells us. Now, most have assumed that Martha was in the kitchen, cooking, preparing food. But the text, keep in mind, does not say that she was in the kitchen preparing food. People perhaps have assumed she was in the kitchen because that's often where women are expected to be, both then and now. And of course, hospitality in the ancient Near East would have involved food for sure. However, I agree with Warren Carter who argues that we need to get Martha out of the kitchen. The word in Greek uh, that is translated preparations is a Greek word. I don't often get into the Greek, but this is pretty fascinating. It's a word, diakonia is the Greek word. Now you may recognize it's similar to a word that we often use in in churchy circles uh, called deacon. The English word deacon comes from this Greek word. And today, a deacon is, is a leader in the church who is committed to serving the community and providing leadership for a congregation. That particular word in the early Christian community would have also meant something very similar to this. In Acts, we see this word, diakonia, used eight different times, and it always refers to providing leadership and service within the Christian community. And keep in mind, the same author wrote Luke and Acts. Diakonia is less about cooking and it's more about ministry. I would argue that a more accurate translation of Martha's struggle would be, but Martha was distracted by much ministry. I do not believe that Martha was distracted just by simple task of making food or fluffing pillows or sweeping the floor. These tasks are important and they can be ministry. And people who do those jobs are just as important as anyone else. However, I think we need to elevate Martha, because she had a much bigger role within the early church and the Christian community than just those kinds of things. We need to have a more accurate understanding of what Martha was so stressed out about. We've often portrayed Martha as just being stressed out about trivial things that don't really matter, and we just need to focus on Jesus and the important stuff, right? No, Martha was stressed about things that were really important. She was a leader in the Jesus movement providing much-needed ministry to the community. She was doing very important and critical work to sustain the movement that Jesus was leading. Think of her more as an organizer than a housemaid. It makes sense to me why she would want help, right? When Jesus sent out his followers, he sent them out in twos because ministry is meant to be done in partnership, not as some solo initiative where we go out on our own. And so Martha wanted 
her sister, her partner to help her out because there was a lot to be done. It makes sense why she was a little frustrated that Mary wasn't helping in that moment. Another thing to point out, Martha doesn't deal with it in the most healthy way. She tries to triangulate the situation. Have you ever done that before? you got family members who do that? You know, it's like, it's like instead of going to the person you have the problem with, you go to somebody else, and you're like, can you go talk to them, please? And then it creates this unhealthy triangle. Those are not very good to do. This is what she was doing. She went to Jesus to try to talk to Mary and get Mary to do what Martha wanted Mary to do. Just a side note, not a healthy way to deal with conflict. <laughs> Verse 41 and part of 42, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. You know, I I hear compassion and understanding and some correction when Jesus says Martha's name twice. It's like, Martha, Martha. He acknowledged and affirmed and and validated that she was upset and she was worried about so much. Remember, Martha was upset about things that were important, even good things she was upset and stressed about. Yet Jesus reminds her, I think in this moment, what is most important for her right then and there. He says that really only one thing matters in the grand scheme of things. And he closes by saying, Mary has chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken away from her. That translation, what is better, makes us think that Jesus is maybe comparing Mary and Martha and telling people to be like Mary. And and the text really doesn't say that in the original language. In my opinion, it's more like Mary has chosen something good. Mary has chosen a good thing in this moment. And Martha, it would be good if you paid attention to that. She's chosen what is good, what is important right now in this moment. Essentially, Mary had chosen to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Him, to focus her attention on Him. We also could think about the urgency of this moment. Keep in mind, He's on His way to Jerusalem. Things are getting bad. He's not going to be with them much longer. Mary had chosen what was important and needed in that moment to focus her attention on Jesus who was in her home. Martha was distracted by many good things. She was organizing and supporting the Jesus movement likely through her connections and her wealth and her leadership and her hospitality and her skills. But in that moment, Martha was consumed in her ministry. And she became very self-focused, even resentful, and ultimately, it seems, in that moment, lost sight of the most important part of the Jesus movement. Jesus himself, right? You know, this story isn't really about Martha's actions. It's not about that she was doing things she shouldn't have been doing. It's not about who's better, Mary or Martha. To me, it's really about priorities. And we understand this. Our priorities get out of whack all the time. We know what it's like to get distracted and worried and stressed about all the important and good things that we have in our lives. Our tasks, our relationships, our events, our obligations, our appointments, our careers, our families. For me, my church and the ministry I have to do is good stuff. But it can become a hindrance sometimes for us. We understand that stress all too well because we know that it's all too easy to lose focus, and to get our priorities out of whack. I like how uh, Caroline Lewis puts it. She says, now is the time to set aside duty and just sit beside Jesus. Now is the time to postpone maybe what you have to do and take time for what you want to do. Now is the time to reschedule some items on your to-do list and reprioritize. 
And I'll give you a practical example from my own life. On Tuesday of just this past week, um, Laura and I came home from work, and Laura's got this, like, spidey sense into, like, how I'm doing, you know. And, and it's good sometimes. Sometimes it's really annoying. Um, but uh, it's, it's great. She, she knows things, you know. And so I always try to pretend like I'm fine when I'm not, you know. And she's, like, could tell that I wasn't fully present. I wasn't really there. I was being kind of short. I was not being very kind or very warm. And, and she knew something was off. And so we talked, and I told her about all the things I was stressed about, building issues at the church, foster care uncertainty, too much ministry, too little time, too much busyness. And it hit me later that night that I have something in common with Martha. I easily, all too easily, become distracted and worried about much ministry. And I hear Jesus saying to me this week as I've been preparing, John, John, you were worried and distracted by many things, many good things even. But right now, maybe, maybe the thing that you need to do that would be better for you right now is to refocus, to step back, and just spend some time at my feet. You know, last week, Tanya challenged us through the story of the Good Samaritan. She challenged us to take loving action. That we can't just stay at Jesus' feet, right? We can't just sit there at Jesus' feet. We ought to get up and do something sometime. We've got to act. We've got to love. We've got to reach out. This week, our story reminds us that action is not everything. That sometimes our good work, our obligations, our busyness distracts us from the most important thing. Just spending time with Jesus at his feet. I imagine many of you, if not every single one in this room, is distracted and worried by many things right now. And I want to ask, are you taking time to spend at Jesus' feet, to spend time with him, to learn from him, to connect with him? So I want to take just a moment for y'all just to think and reflect. If you want to jot down some ideas on your phone or on the piece of paper there, you can do it. But a few questions. What, are, what, what is distracting you this morning? What's distracting you? What's worrying you this morning? What is taking your time and your energy right now in your life? And I imagine many of these things are really good things. You know, for me, I think that my foster care journey and parenting and all that is just taking so much of my energy and my time and my focus. This church uh, takes a lot of that from me as well. But what is distracting you? What is worrying you this morning? And perhaps they're really good things, but what are they? And then I think the question to go a little bit deeper is to ask, where does Jesus fit into all that? Are you taking the time that is necessary to spend with Jesus in prayer, in study, in conversation, in worship? Another question, do you, do you need a break? Maybe Martha just needed a break. And Jesus is like, look, just come, sit in my feet. Take a break from all the good things that you're doing for us. Do you need a break? What is God saying to your heart this morning?